the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What is to happen to the nation of Israel? How should we feel towards the nation of Israel? Are they the elect children of the promise? Let's talk about that out of Romans chapter 9 next, here on Abounding Grace. Depending on who you talk to, there are a variety of opinions as to what the future is for the nation of Israel. Well, today, here on Abounding Grace, we continue reviewing Romans chapter 9, specifically verses 6 through 13, as we take a look at the elect children of the promise and Paul's sorrow over where they stand with God at this present time. With more, here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. God's principle of choosing Jacob and rejecting Esau was in himself, in his own purposes and counsel of grace, love, mercy, and of his wisdom. Listen to Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure. Solomon said in Proverbs 19.21, The counsel of the Lord, that shall save us. So when it comes to just trying to understand why God chose Jacob and rejected Esau, Even though both of them were born of Isaac, even though both of them had the same mother, the only reason is God's sovereign purposes with respect to both of them that he doesn't see fit to share with us. So when the Holy Spirit stops talking, we stop asking, as Calvin used to say, By the way, just to make it clear, notice he adds in verse 11, not of works. I mean, he already excluded works at the beginning, but it just highlights God's sovereignty here. God doesn't determine who will be worthy, who will believe in him and then choose them. No, God's choice determines whom he will call to faith, but of him who calleth. God's eternal sovereign purpose determines who he will call to himself. John 6, 44. No one can come to me, Jesus said, except the Father who sent me draw him. And who does the Father draw? Those whom he has chosen in all eternity according to his own good counsel for himself. By the way, just as a side note for us, who does that, where does that leave us? There's such a huge view of God. Where does that leave us? Totally in his mercy 
And that's the reason we struggle with these doctrines. Many in the church historically have rejected them, or at least some, and all have struggled with them because they establish God's complete sovereignty and authority over all of us to do by us, with us, for us, in us, whatever He wants to do. They establish what are totally dependent upon His, that we are totally dependent upon His good pleasure. It also reveals that our only hope is that He will have mercy upon me, even though I don't deserve it, and upon you, even though you don't deserve it. These things wholly exclude any consideration of my works, my goodness, my will. Yes, those whom God calls will in time choose and decide and want to follow Jesus. But again, this is only because God raises dead men to life and then enables them to repent and believe. So in other words, what is the cash value of this thus far to us? God shows mercy to those who deserve to be rejected. And if you know the Savior, that is the only reason you do. There, is, there was no good in us. There was nothing that motivated God to rescue us from the mire or miry pit of sin. Nothing in us. Nothing that would lead him to treat us or Jacob or Isaac different from the fallen mass of depraved humanity. There was nothing. It was his own good pleasure, my friends. It was his own sovereign love to those who were unlovable, you and I. And it was his grace to unworthy sinners, you and I. So Paul's point is proven. God's word has not fallen to the ground for the very reason it never envisioned saving the mass of Israel. He extended mercy to those he intended to save and no other. And even men from the very, very same stock had very different destinies. Why is this? God willed it and who can question? So if we have received mercy and we are the children of the promise and if we may claim Abraham as our father, it is only because a sovereign God had mercy upon us when we didn't deserve it, when there was nothing in us but that which would, which would bring condemnation upon us. Now a lot of people will go that far. But when we get to verse 13, we lose them. Jacob have I loved. But Esau have I hated. Now one way this is often dealt with is that some people will say, I'm with you on election and all of that. But it's really only talking about groups. You know, Jacob's group, Esau's group, their descendants. It's not talking about them as individuals because God simply does not hate individual men. He loves everyone. As a matter of fact, most preachers go one step even further and say, He loves everyone the same, which myself, I certainly pray, is not true. Because if it is true, then I have no confidence in His love. Because if He loves some people so much, why does He send them to hell? 
Let's go back to Malachi where this was first stated. Malachi chapter 1, which is really kind of a weird place for the prophet to just boom, let's zoom right to the difficult stuff here. It says Malachi 1.1. 1, 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou, lo- has thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will, st- we will still return and build the desolate places. And thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw them down, and they will call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom God, whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Now, these verses help us tremendously when we come to Romans 9.13. First of all, who is Edom? Edom was the descendants of Esau. So God says, I hate Esau, so I hate Edom. You might say he can't hate individual men. He can only hate groups. Now, some people have argued this, and it is literally insane. But why would he hate the whole group of Edom? It is because he hated Esau, their head, and their founder. So if you say God doesn't hate individuals but only groups, it just pushes the problem back one step. God hated them. Why? Because God rejected Esau. But there's another issue that comes up here. Some people say, no, it just means Jacob have I loved, Esau have I loved less. I have shown less favor to Esau. Well, the fact is, the verb here can mean less favorite in another context. It doesn't always contain a full idea of hatred. But look at Malachi, the original context. God's hatred is not just a passive, I'm not going to do you good. Notice, I laid his mountains and his heritage waste. Edom says, we're going to return and rebuild. God says, I will tear it down again. Because you are the land of my wrath and I hate you. So this isn't just a passive, I'm not going to show you the favor that I have shown to Jacob. This is an active, wrathful, just opposition to Esau and to his descendants forever. Now, whenever we speak of God hating, we, of course, need to be very careful that we don't impute him any sinful attributes that we have when we go to hating. God does not hate based on, well, he deserves to be loved. He, he, he deserves to be loved, but I'm going to help hate him anyway. No, we often hate people that we judge in a certain way, and we don't even know them. That's not true of God. God doesn't hate out of greed or pride or covetousness. God's hatred is not an out-of-control rage that schemes for vengeance. No, God's hatred is his pure, his just, his measured, his holy revulsion against everything that offends his justice. 
God's hatred is his righteous jealousy against everything that offends his majesty, his prerogatives as God. Remember, God made us. He rightfully claims from us all of our affections and our worship. And what have we done, beloved? We spat in his face. You know, I don't believe our real problem is with God hating Esau. I wonder if our real problem is with God loving Jacob. I mean, look at Jacob's life. He was a deceiver. And so if he deserves to be loved, certainly I must deserve to be loved, right? If anything, Esau appears to be the morally superior of the two. He was the offended party in their sibling rivalry. But again, that just proves the point that God doesn't extend love or hatred based upon what men deserve. It is perilous and it will result in our condemnation if we want to go down the path of demanding that God conform to our standards of justice. Because remember, you and I, every man and woman who has ever breathed on this earth deserves to be hated by God and sent to hell forever. Deserve doesn't even come into question here. All we like sheep have gone astray. I think our real objection is to God loving some, but not loving others. It's just that we feel that all, have to be, all of us have to be treated the same or God is unfair. Isn't that the way the world looks at things today? But this is nothing but our wretched pride, thinking there is some good at the root of everyone that somehow deserves God's favor. Oh, there is nothing. There is nothing. On your best day, on my best day, if God were to measure us by the standard of his own holiness, the standard by which all must be judged, there would be nothing but what would bring our condemnation. There is nothing good. We have all gone astray. We are all an unclean thing. We are filthy. There is none who do good. No, not one. So if God loves us, it is only because of his undeserved kindness to those who deserve to be hated. And those whom he hates, they simply receive what they deserve. And really, what we deserve as well, were it not for his goodness. So let us be wary in bringing the charges of injustice against Paul. And Paul will revisit this in the next verse, which we will look at next week. But for the moment, what are we supposed to do with the lines we've looked at today? I can only think of one response. To bow down in the dust before his majesty. To bow down in the dust. Here is the true picture of our standing before God. Every single person in this room is a condemned criminal. You will never understand these verses, and neither will I. We will never be humbled by them unless we see they are describing us. The list of our crimes is long, and the condemnation is just. There's no court of appeal. Hell looms before me and before you. God is not agitated. 
He is not vindictive in meeting out his sentence. He is holy, 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 righteous in all of his ways, with his throne settled in the heavens in justice and judgment forever. Beloved, unless we see ourselves like this, unless we see ourselves like Esau, rejected, we can never fully understand the wonders or really even begin to understand the wonders of God's love and mercy for us. We can't appreciate the glory of the cross because instead of giving us what we deserve, every single one of us, there are no exceptions on the planet today. There's not one single exception. Even if Job and Daniel were alive, there would be no exceptions to this rule. If God were to give us what we deserve, we would perish in hell forever. So instead, God sent his son. He didn't have to do this. It was not his justice that demanded that he do this. It was his love and his mercy and his wisdom finding out a way for love and peace through righteousness to meet and kiss. God, as the just judge, dropped the gavel of guilty as charged upon his son. And the Lord Jesus bore God's wrath against us. He became sin for us. He became the rejected Esau so that we would have the heritage of Jacob. That's what he did for us on that cross. So we can talk all we want to today. Well, if you really believe in election and predestination, there's no point in evangelism. And how can you speak of that cross? You can't speak of that cross correctly unless you do believe in it. Because if all Jesus did was make salvation possible for everyone, then I can't cling to him. Because there are many for whom he died that are perishing in hell right now. How do I know that I will be any different than them? How do I know he will hold on to me? How do I know that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ? Well, when you see the cross for what it is, it was a court scene but not the one on earth. It was in the heavenlies where the convicted one in our place, the holy for the unholy, the righteous for the sinful stood and bore the sword of our justice, the hatred that would have come to us, the just wrath of God against us so that we can live. So when you hear these verses... We ought to be so in love with our Savior and rejoice in His goodness and praise God for His grace. You know, if we are honest with ourselves, we can readily understand this is a good place for us. It is the first place of healthy psychology. Do you realize people spend billions of dollars, billions and billions of dollars in this country, either for drugs or therapy? to affect and change their emotional and psychological so-called well-being. Do you know why so many people in this country are sick? It is because of false doctrine in the church. Because unless you begin with what we've talked about today, that I am a sinner in the sight of God, you are going to be mentally sick over time, and it is going to affect your whole person. It's just unavoidable. We can readily understand why God would hate us. 
I can readily understand that completely. What is difficult to comprehend is why he would love any of us. And again, I want to reiterate in closing, it was not because Israel was any better than others. In fact, in many cases, they were far worse. It's not because God saw anything good in you that you were able to repent and believe the gospel and come to Jesus. It wasn't because he first saw you and said, hey, I want him on my kickball team. It wasn't because of anything about you. It was because of his love. He loves the undeserving. He is gracious and merciful to those who deserve condemnation. But we haven't fully embraced this teaching as we should if we are not fully humbled before God's majesty. The doctrines of God are not understood if we merely say, yes, that is the good old Presbyterian doctrine that I love to hear. Forget all that garbage. It's not simply Presbyterian. It is biblical. We haven't digested these things properly. We say, great, I'm one of God's chosen. I don't have to worry about my sinning any longer. Well, you better be careful. The apostle speaks of that as crucifying Christ, the Son of God afresh, for which there is no more sacrifice. So you young people, if you hear the gospel and you say, yeah, I hear all that. I'm glad to be in the outward body, but I'm going to hold to onto something because I want a girl. I want a boyfriend. I want this. I want esteem. I want praise. I want sex. I want a nice car. I want what I want. Be careful. Because Israel had a lot more external privileges in many respects, more than we do. And God said, be gone with you. To hell with you. You've rejected me. You were never part of me. So be careful. Paul is going to argue that in chapter 11. If God didn't spare the natural branches... Those whose tree it was, beware lest he not spare you. He may be in the process now of, of not sparing the churches in this country. Because, oh, we have believed in the gospel. But we fit it in with our American stupidity and our convenience idols. And we have not been humbled in the dust before God's majesty. But take this with you, if nothing else today. Jesus Christ should be our only boast because the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all that we deserve. Were it not for God's grace to us in his son, we would be the hated and the condemned. You would be, I would be. And we could not complain of any injustice on God's part. No, because we would be getting exactly what we deserve. We would have to praise God's justice as we went to hell and say, you're just, Lord. I deserve to be here. I know I can't say anything against this. Yes, I am certainly gritting my teeth and I hate you for it, but I have to praise your justice because I am here as I deserve. But he doesn't do that. He sent his son who came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So do you want to be a child of the promise? Do you want to sing and praise and rejoice? If you have Abraham as your father, 
and you are heirs of all of God's promises, there is only one way. Embrace the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Cling to him. Love him. Because he is God's love. He is God's love and his mercy. And upon him was laid all our sins. So that we might be the righteousness of God in him. May God be praised. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, the minister of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. As always, it's a delight spending time with you here in God's Word. And if today's program has been especially helpful to you, we'd love to hear about it. Would you take a moment and contact us? Let us know how the program is encouraging you in Christ. It would mean a great deal to us. From time to time, we'd like to know how the program is being used by God. And that would be a great gauge for us. A quick letter or a phone call. Here's how to contact us, 408-866-5607. That's our phone number, 408-866-5607. Or you can write to us at PMB, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB for post mailbox, number 402. 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is the zip code. If you'd like to know more about Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose or Pastor Gary Wagner and Abounding Grace, you can visit our website, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And leave us an email when you stop by. Let us know you paid us a visit. You're also welcome to, again, call. That phone number is 408-866-5607. If you'd like a copy of today's program, by the way, mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a copy out to you. The cost is $5, and any amount you send above and beyond cost of resource materials will go right back into the radio program, as this is a listener-supported ministry. We're able to continue our daily presence here on this station as you continue to support us financially and prayerfully. We appreciate your help in this endeavor. Thank you again. For further information, reformedheritage.org or 408 408- 8665607 Until next time God bless Three-star general Michael J Flynn head of the Pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors This set off alarm bells The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.